Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are continuing in a series um, that we have called Losing My Religion and uh, working our way through uh, the letter of Galatians. And it's important to realize um, as we go through this that this is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. So it's actually letters written to very specific people um, dealing with very specific real-life day-to-day kind of stuff. And, and, And sometimes... We forget that, and, and it's taken us like six weeks to get through this letter, and, and so you kind of, sometimes that, there's an upside to that, because there's so much there that, that you just got to kind of take it apart and unpack it and think about it and, and study it together, but the downside of that is you lose that sense of continuity, um, because what we're taking like six weeks to go through, you could read in about three or four minutes, you know, if you're just reading straight through the letter, so just kind of to kind of bring everybody up to speed in case you've missed one or two of these along the way. This letter is written to a group of people who are really dealing with this issue of, of religious tradition and, and religious ceremony and ritual as opposed to the grace of God that Paul preached and brought to them. And, and they're wrestling with this whole thing because like us, religion gets in the way and a lot of other stuff gets packed in. And some, it's mostly very good stuff, but it can get in the way of a very simple message. And so as we've been looking through this, the first part of this letter Paul's been writing about, these are the things to watch out for. These are things to be careful of, that religion can become toxic. It can become toxic if it becomes all about performance, and it's performance-driven, and it's all about external conformity, and keeping up appearances, and, and, and trying to prove my worth to God. Then religion gets toxic. And it can actually become self-defeating if the very things that were meant and designed to draw me closer to God become an end in themselves. Because when that happens, instead of drawing me closer to God, it actually alienates me from God. And, and, it, and what we talked about last week, and this is, I think, at the key of this whole letter. It's that one sentence, and it says, the one thing, it says, the one thing to keep in mind, if, if you forget everything else from this whole series, if you forget everything else from this letter, there's only one thing. We talked about it last week, okay? In fact, I, I had you participate, so you would know the one thing, okay? So we're going to say it together this morning, because I know you all remember it from last week. And... Okay, so that's the one thing. What is the only thing that counts? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul says, if you, if, you, if you reduce it all down to one thing, that's it. If you want to know what your faith ought to look like, it's faith expressing itself through love. If you want to know at any moment what's the right decision to make, it's how will this express my faith through love. That's, a, that's a, an incredibly liberating guiding, guiding principle. If you brought it all down to it and, and you understood that's what this life of faith is about, that Christ has expressed his love to me so, so fully on the cross and given me this new life, then the only thing that really counts is how I express that to other people. And that's tremendously liberating. That's tremendously freeing. In fact, that's the key word that Paul uses throughout this whole letter. It's about freedom. And we're going to pick it up. If you want to um, grab your Bibles and follow along with me. Chapter 5, leaving where we left off last, uh, last week, verse 13. He writes these words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. For the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified that sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, okay, you are like prisoners released from captivity. You have been given now in Christ a brand new freedom, a whole new life, a life of freedom. Now, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? You've been set free. You stand outside that prison, and for the first time in a very, very long time, maybe the first time in your life, you breathe the air of freedom. Now, what will you do with it? How will you live this new life? How will you use your freedom? Because that is a very, very important thing. If this whole thing about God's grace and his forgiveness and his restoration of my life is all about now living a free life and we're saying, okay, let's, let's not get caught in those old legalistic performance-driven religious practices. Let's live freely. How are we going to do that? And last week we said the key principle is faith expressing itself through love. This life of freedom, you live in love. And that's very, very important because... Because freedom without love is destructive and deadly. Freedom without any love is is simply destructive. It is deadly. It's horrible stuff. He says you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. See, what we usually think of when we think of freedom, we think of it in terms of external constraints, confinement, um, limits. We think of it, we think of freedom as freedom from. That's typically the way that we think of freedom. Freedom from. I can't do this. I can't do the other. I, I, I'm limited. I am, and, and when I get freedom, I get freedom from those limits. And that's typically the way that we think of freedom. Um, and and that, by the way, that starts very early. We, we start off in our you know, young ages, we are completely dependent. We are completely dependent. We have no freedom whatsoever. We can't walk. We can't talk. You know, we can cry and hope our parents figure out what it is that's wrong, you know, but we, we can't do anything. And, and then we hit this magic age called two. And I don't know what it is about a two-year-old, but you hit two and you begin to discover Freedom. Our, our grand, I can say that our granddaughter turned two a couple months ago. She is walking. She is talking. She has a new sense of independence and freedom. Self-assertion. And in fact, she has learned a new sentence. 
And she says it all the time. Emma, do it. Emma, do it. Me, do it. Me, do it. No, no, let me do this for you. No, no, Emma, do it. Emma, do it. She's, she's learning independence. She's also learned another word that she uses quite frequently. No. <laughs> no. Well, Emma, we have to do this. No. No. She, she, she is asserting her freedoms. Now, she has the freedom to walk. She doesn't want to hold your hand. She doesn't want to ride in the stroller anymore. She, she's, she's big enough to sit in a big person's chair, so she doesn't want to sit in the car seat anymore. She is beginning to assert her freedom because for her, like it is for most of us, the idea of freedom is freedom from constraints. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And, and you get a little bit older and you probably, you all learn this sentence. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> anybody here not ever say that sentence ever in your life? You know, in fact, there was a, there was a, a TV program on a number of years ago now, and that was a theme song. The, the whole, it actually became a pretty popular song. And the whole song was, you're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. And that was the whole, that was the song. We want our independence. And, and then as you get older and older and older, it, it's again, more freedoms, more, less constraints. A teenager becomes 16 and has newfound freedoms with a driver's license and a car, except they come to find out there's this pex, pesky thing called speed limits. And they're not quite as free as they thought they were. But they grow up and they, and they graduate high school and they go off to college and it's their first time away from their parents and they don't have to obey the parents' household rules. They have no rules. In fact, nobody even cares if they show up in class. They don't take attendance in college. Well, in high school, man, you had to, if you cut class, man, you got called on it and you know, all the whole thing. College, nobody cares. You show up to class, you don't show up to class, you are free. Except there's this annoying thing called the GPA that hampers your freedom. We think of freedom as freedom from restraint. And then you graduate college and there is nobody, nobody is forcing you to get a job. Your parents might suggest it, you know, because they paid for all that college, you know, but, but, but nobody can really force you because they're not the boss of you now anymore, okay? And nobody will make you get a job. Except you discover if you don't get a job, you don't have money, and you got no freedom whatsoever. We think of freedom as this freedom from. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Self-actualization. Nobody's the boss of me. I'm, the, I'm my own boss of myself. And, and so we reach age 21, and we're free to drink as much as we want. I am free to drink as much alcohol as I want. And I do. I choose to do that. I drink, no, because nobody can tell me. That's not against the law. Nobody can tell me. I can drink as much as I want, except that then I begin to discover it starts affecting my job. And it starts affecting my health. And it starts affecting my family, my marriage, my friendships. So I decide, I don't want to do this anymore. Only way to discover now is, I'm not that free. <laughs> I was free to indulge, but that freedom just led me to a captivity. And all the freedom that I thought I had and I enjoyed, now I have become a slave to. And that's what happens. You see, when you make your desires and your passions your God, it always leads to slavery. 
And all of this freedom, this freedom from external constraints, what I discover is there is a deeper level to this freedom idea. That it's not just about external constraints. There, there's an inner aspect to freedom. And so I need to start thinking about freedom a little bit differently. And, and that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you have been given this new free life in Christ. Free from religious constraints. Free from all the ritual and routine. Free from the tradition. But he says, now that you have been set free from, be careful. Because freedom in and of itself always leads to self-indulgence. Because you see, when no one's the boss of me, when I have this freedom, it's amazing. There is this funny thing that happens that when I get to decide what's right and wrong, when I get to decide the way things ought to be, when it's up to me to make that determination, when I am the boss of me, there's this funny thing that happens is that every decision I make and every right and wrong always ends up in my favor. (laughs) No matter how it impacts anybody else. Because it's freedom without love. And that's what Paul, that's what Paul warns against. See, he goes on and he says it this way. He gives, in fact, he gives 15 different descriptions of this free life without love. He says, the acts of the sinful nature, they are obvious. They are sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. What he's saying is the most intimate expression of love that God designed, that most intimate uniting of two people meant to enhance, meant to enhance a relationship, now has become something that is just self-indulgence. See, God has a very, very high idea of sex. And he says it works within the confinement of the covenant of a committed relationship. And when you engage in that outside of that relationship, you have cheapened it. You have made it worthless. You have made it about nothing more than your self-gratification. If it feels good, do it. Regardless of how it impacts anybody else. Regardless even of what it does to your own soul. Because it's all about self-indulgence. Self-gratification. You say, well, we're two consenting adults. Yes, you are. But that doesn't make it right. See, there's a moral order to things that God has established. And you don't get to choose the right or wrong. And when you choose to make yourself the boss of you, that's what it leads to. The most intimate expression that God has given becomes a means of self-gratification. Goes on, he says, idolatry and witchcraft. Well, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I don't practice idolatry or witchcraft. See, anytime I choose and pick what it is about God I want to believe, anytime I pick and choose what scriptures I want to follow and what I want to ignore, I am making a God in my own image, and that's idolatry. When all of my prayers are all about just, God, can you make things work out for me? When, when all of my prayers become just, God, fix things for me, make my life comfortable, then really all my prayers have become is an incantation for my own manipulating of God. And that's witchcraft. <laughs> I don't do those. You see? 
with something, we take, we take what is holy and pure and, and supernaturally divine and we use the supernatural for our own ends. That's idolatry and witchcraft. He goes on. Hatred, discord, jealousy, the things that pollute our relationships. And then relationships become these things. It, it makes us rivals instead of friends. And it destroys our relationships. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. What happens is we become users of other people. And we use people to get the things that we love instead of using the things that we have to love people. We get it turned around. Because when I'm the boss of me, it all revolves around me. And if I want it, and I need to use you to get it, I'll do that. This is freedom. This is freedom without love. This is what it looks like. He goes on. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. What happens is your appetites become addictions. And you become a slave to your desires. That's, that's a picture of freedom without love. It is toxic. It is deadly. It hurts you. It hurts the people around you. And he says, don't use your freedom in that way. Yes, you've been given this freedom, but don't use it in that way because you have missed the point. Freedom without love is destructive and deadly. However, he goes on, freedom expressed in love is both healing and life-giving. See, freedom provides the opportunity. Love is the choice that you make with the opportunity. He puts it this way. Rather, serve one another in love. For the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a different type of freedom. Freedom from is all about getting out from underneath somebody else's thumb. This freedom that he's talking about here is a very different freedom. This is the freedom to. This is the freedom to love. It's the freedom to become the person God designed me to be. It's the freedom to live the life as he designed it to be lived. See, it's not just a freedom from, it's a freedom to. A freedom to love. It's an internal freedom. Now, what is ironic about this whole thing and paradoxical, paradoxical about it is that this, the only way to get this internal freedom is surrender. <laughs> this, this internal freedom only comes when you let go. Freedom comes from... And, and anybody in a 12-step program will tell you that. They became a slave to their addictions and their compulsions. They, they, they investigated freedom without love and it became all self-serving. And what they found is when they made those things their God, they became slaves to them. And the only way, anybody in 12 will tell you, the only way you get out of that bondage is you let go. You come to the realization that I am powerless to win over this addiction. And I recognize that there is someone higher than me whose standards, whose life, whose power 
for me is greater than what I have all by myself. And I turn over my life to him. That's what's so ironic about the whole thing. (laughs) The way to real freedom, the way to that inner freedom comes when you give up, when you surrender your rights and your privileges. And no amount of your self-will is really going to be able to get you that internal freedom. It will only come as you surrender. Because, see, the only way you can experience love is by giving up some of your freedom. That's why the marriage vows, when you get married, the marriage vows are the most confining promises you will ever make in your life. But they open the door to the greatest intimacy and love that you could ever experience. That's how it works. That's the way that love works. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, love is the most liberating loss of freedom of all. (laughs) I love that. Because that's the truth of it. And, and, And what happens is that love becomes the real, the truest act of freedom. Because now I am free. And and, and real love, genuine love, is not limited by um, my emotions or my circumstances. It is not driven by self-interest. It is a free giving of myself. And that leads to the inner freedom that we're really looking for. That by surrendering control to God, I am set free. Instead of willpower... And trying harder, he says, God produces these things, the fruit of the Spirit, he calls them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Those things that come only from God. Love, to know that I am loved and accepted as is. Forgiven for whatever my past is and welcomed into his family by his grace. When I experience that kind of unconditional love, it changes me. Joy. Joy. Then instead of selfish grasping for everything I can get out of life, I begin to see life as a gift from God and I enjoy every moment because it comes to me as a gift. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. I don't have to grasp for it. It comes each moment as a gift from God and I can enjoy the moment. Peace. Peace is knowing that no matter what I face and no matter what circumstances I go through in my life, I am not alone. That there is a God who holds me in His hands. And as difficult as it might get, He will never let go. And as trying as experiences of life might be, and as much as I don't think I can endure it any longer, He is holding me. And there is a peace in that that says, I don't have to figure this all out for myself. I'm in God's hands. They come as a gift from God. Love, joy, peace. Patience. Patience is just certain, just learning to live at God's pace. Instead of the frantic pace that I live my life. And trust in His timing. That no matter how long it might take, that His timing is going to be perfect. And I can rest. There's a certain freedom in that. If, If you go back to that infant who is totally dependent on its parents... There's probably no freer human being. (laughs) They have no worries, no fears, no concerns. They live carefree because there is someone who cares for them. 
and this peace, love, joy, patience, being able to live at His kindness. Then, then with kindness, instead of being a user, I become a giver. I use the things that I love, used to love, now to love people. That's kindness. Goodness. We take our cues from a good God who demonstrates His goodness to us every day. And we do good for goodness' sake. That we can do good without anybody ever finding out about it and be okay with that. Without any promise of getting something in return, we can do good and be okay with that. Because we serve a good God. And we take our cues from Him. That's an inner freedom. Goodness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That I can fulfill loyalties and commitments over the long haul, even when it doesn't benefit me. That I made a promise to somebody, I made a vow with somebody, and I'm there for them even when it doesn't work out for me and I don't get some benefit out of it. That's what faithfulness is. That's what God expressed to us through Christ on the cross who got no benefit for himself except you to love. That's faithfulness. Gentleness. The freedom to not have to retaliate. To let God do the evening of the books, if you will. The balancing of the books. Not fate, not karma. Just to trust that God is in control. I was thinking about this one this week because this one really bothers me because I want someone to pay. (laughs) If somebody hurts me somewhere along the way, I want them to get theirs because they hurt me and that's not right and that's not fair. And, And somewhere along the way, and I thought, would I be able to? And this is what struck me. Because I was thinking about Christ on the cross. Why he didn't have to speak up for himself. Why he could take the beatings and the lashings and the mockings and all of those things and feel no need to retaliate, though he could. He was trusting that his heavenly father was doing something and, and whether or not any of those soldiers or any of those who pronounced judgment on him or any of those who mocked him ever got theirs didn't matter to him. But boy, I don't know if I could do that. Anybody here watching Survivor? A few of you, okay. Come on, admit it. You can raise your hands high. Be proud, okay. I don't know, I don't know how... If it, it's changed over the years. And this season, they've done something incredibly different. Instead of getting voted off the tribe, if you're not familiar with it, you get two tribes, they get voted out, okay? One at a time, picked off until there's only one person. He's a sole survivor. He wins a million dollars. She wins a million dollars. So they did something different, though, this year. Instead of when tribal council, you get voted off, you didn't just get voted off to go home. You were still in the game. You went to something called Redemption Island. And Redemption Island was now you got a second chance. You can still get back in the game. And as they send people to Redemption Island, now there's a competition that happens among the people on Redemption Island. And last week, and I wish I had recorded it so I didn't see it in time for last Sunday's message, but I thought, it's such a great illustration, I'm going to use it a week late. (laughs) So there's four guys on Redemption Island, and and there's the competition, and one of them's going to get eliminated, three of them are going to get to stay, but one of them wins the reward. And the guy that won the reward, and, and this was the reward, 
They, all, they haven't seen their families for over a month. And there's a loved one from every family there. Both those who are on Redemption Island, those who are in the, the crowd on the sidelines who voted all those other people into Redemption Island, you know, backstabbed them, blindsided them, got them over there, got them out of their tribe, okay? All those people are up there too. And, and so this guy wins the challenge. And, and so the, the host, Mark Probst, he says, now, because you've won the challenge, you get to spend an entire day with your loved one. And it was his mom. His mom had come. He says, you get to spend... And she hadn't seen her for like over a month. And he's been living with these people, you know. And you get to spend the day with your mom. Or, or you can forego that. You can choose to not spend that day with your mom. And instead, you can let the other two guys on Redemption Line and spend the day with their loved ones. But if you give them that, you don't get to spend the day with your mom. Or, or you could choose not for you to get that reward and not for your buddies on Redemption Line to get that reward, but you can choose to let these six people, and you didn't put it this way, but who stabbed you in the back, <laughs> who blindsided you, who pretended to be your friends until they could get you off the tribe, all those people, those people who did all wrong to you, you could instead choose to forego your own day with your family and your Redemption Island guys with their family and you could give them the day with their loved ones. And I have never been more proud of watching a Christian on TV than I was that moment. Because I've seen all kinds of Christians do all kinds of stupid things in the name of God (laughs) that just make me cringe on TV. And this is what he said. He said, this morning... I was reading in my Bible where Jesus said, you should love your neighbor as yourself. He said, I can think of no better way to fulfill that scripture today than to let them have the day with their family. And and the host, Jeff Probst, he says, wait, let me get this straight. You are going to give up your day with your mom to let all these people who voted you out to have a day with their loved ones. He said, yeah. He said, no, wait, wait. okay. So what you're doing here is now, you know you're giving up the state with your mom. Yeah. And he turns to his mom, to the guy's mom. He says, can you believe your son's doing this? She said, yeah, that's who he is. I thought, I have never been more proud of a Christian on TV in my life. Because I wouldn't have done that. I know I wouldn't have done that. I would have thumbed my nose at those guys and said, I'm out of here. But you see, that's, that's what he's talking about. Gentleness. Kindness. And, and, and by the way, well, some of those guys that got to spend the day with the friends, boy, that was a really shrewd political move. Boy, I know he was just trying to get back in our good graces, but it didn't work for us. And they all thought he had all these ulterior motives. But he said, no. He said, I know. It might gain me. It might not. I don't know. But that's not why I did it. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's God working in you, his qualities and characteristics that you can't summon up on your own. Self-control, the freedom to use my energies and my strengths wisely regardless of my impulses Paul says these things are fruit 
They are the produce. They are the things that God produces in you. When you give up your rights, when you learn freedom in love. And next week, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. So how do you do that? How does that happen? I'll give you a hint. He says it's by walking with the Spirit. So next week, we're going to finish this whole series up and say, so what does it look like to walk with the Spirit? What does it look like to walk step by step with God's Holy Spirit in my life? The thing I want you to take home today is this. You have been given tremendous freedom in Christ. Set free from religion, from rules, from requirements, from regulations, from the law, from tradition, from all that other stuff. You have been set free. What will you do with it? How will you live this free life? Paul says there's only one way to really be free. It's the inner freedom that comes from love. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Oh,